Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. You are listening to Canadian Gothic, a series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners. This episode is going to take us to North Bay, Ontario, on a snowy night in March of 2011. 20-year-old Luke Jolly de Roche was in town for the weekend from his comparatively much smaller hometown that was just on the other side of the Ontario-Quebec border. Much like you'd probably expect, during a 20-year-old's weekend away with friends, there was music, laughs, and a lot of drinks. Luke and three other friends headed to a downtown bar, but their night out together didn't seem meant to be. Luke's three friends were allowed into the establishment, but the bouncer turned Luke away. They must have thought he had a bit too much to drink. Now with his friends inside and Luke alone with the night in front of him, the mysteries start. And this is a case that has many of them. And despite the passage of 12 years, the most important mystery of that night still remains. Where is Luke? And that's the question we're going to tackle here tonight. In this episode, I'm going to be joined by Madeleine Klein to discuss the disappearance of then 20-year-old Luke Jolie de Roche. On March 4th, 2011, Luke was staying at this house with friends. They headed to Cecil's bar, where Luke was turned away. And uh, nobody even paid attention to where Luke was. And it seemed like they just forgot about him that night. Ms. Madeleine Klein, how are you doing tonight? I'm well, no complaints. Okay, uh, if my dad was here, he'd be like, good, because no one had listened to them anyway, if you had them. Well, he's he, right. <laughs> he would say something like that. Uh, I see behind you the sign says, beat with leaves. Uh, I have a hard time imagining in my head a baby in the shape of a beat with leaves, but yeah, I get the Well, impression. and I, I didn't even really like this this description and I was going to keep it as last week it was head of cauliflower which was still like eh that's not very cute but whatever but I locked my cat in here so I could do something uninterrupted and I came back and an O a W and an L were mysteriously missing from the sign so it's, it's almost like the cats know that they're going down and you know importance around the house and they think if they can prevent that sign from turning into like it's actually the size of a baby. Maybe they can keep their position. Right. I always think just there's one I'm, I have four cats and there's one I'm specifically worried about because he's, he's my baby and he's just like kind of mean, like he's kind of mean, but I love him. Um, but I just, and this is, we call this room. I'm in his room. Um, <laughs> but right, whenever, that's so sad. I know. <laughs> Whenever I I think whenever he sees someone coming up from the basement because we're working on our basement, I can't help but think he's like, I think the baby's really gonna like the basement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the baby's gonna have a nice room down there. Yeah, where it's, where we're it stays. gonna throw the kid down there. <laughs> uh, let's get into our topic. A lot of listeners in Ontario had recommended the story of Luke Jolie de Roche as a topic to cover on the show. Um, I'll ask you what you know about the case or if you were familiar with it, about it, uh, with it in a sec, but I'll tell you as an East Coaster, th this seems to be a high profile missing persons case in Ontario. I don't recall seeing much news, if any, about his story down here on the East Coast, which is kind of odd, which is pretty weird, right? Well, yeah, because it is I would consider it very high profile. Mm -hmm. When I started doing my little crime talk journey, like almost two years ago, Luke was one of the most um, suggested missing persons cases. When we were picking out the topic for tonight, um, I was I keep like a database of all the topic recommendations I get from listeners. And I had so many uh, people requesting we cover Luke's story. And that, you know, when I open up a couple articles and start reading about it, I was just so drawn in. I spent the last five or six days just reading and watching and listening to everything I could about him. And it's it's such a puzzling mystery, but it's also one that I think like, I think we're going to cover this story now. And I don't think it's going to be very long before there's a major update in this case. It just, I don't know why, but it, it strikes me as a story that is going to have resolution. 
I hope so. Yeah. Well, and just, and we'll get into it, but there's just like, I feel like there's so much information about the night in question, but there's still a few very important holes that mm-hmm. we clearly cannot fill. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully yeah. something does come about soon. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into this as, as we go through the timeline and discuss this case, but there's also what I found in Luke's story, maybe more so than any other I've covered, is there's very much the official story that the police have shared through their many press conferences. And then there is the story that people are talking about online. And it seems like there's a whole lot of details that people are discussing online that don't come up in any of the police press conferences. So it's, I'm, I'm wondering like, is there, are some of these facts disputed or are they unproved? Like just not true, but we'll get into some of that as we go. And as we talk about the timeline, when we get to something that is uh, often discussed, but not mentioned by investigating the investigators i'll i'll try to make a a note of it uh, as we talk because i did come upon several items like that that i that i think are noteworthy but let's start at the very beginning with some of the background on luke jolie de rocher he is from quebec small town guy he was born in a place called quebec first nation which in my search appears to have a population of about 300 people. So very small places where he was born, but he grew up in a neighboring community, um, Tamaskumen, Quebec, which is about, uh, it's it's on the Quebec-Ontario border. And a lot of the, the story we're going to talk about happens right on that border. Um, where he's from, uh, where he was, uh, where he grew up, Temescuman, is about an hour away from the nearest city being North Bay, which is across the Quebec border into Ontario. Um, other than the geography, anything you want to say about about Luke? What's uh, what people say about him? What he was like or is like? By all accounts, he was just like a great guy. wasn't particularly like off no one you know when someone goes missing no one's going to be like oh they were an awful person (laughs) they were the type that would go missing right exactly um that that said with with luke though i've seen a lot of clips of interviews with his parents and friends everyone described him as a really happy always smiling caring guy easy to get along with my son really everybody loved luke he was happy going uh He's always smiling, even though it wasn't even funny. Like, you know, some people say, what are you smiling about? Oh, I'm just smiling. He's a very, very social guy, very easy to talk to. With Luke's photos and seeing like his face, I believe them. Like he always has a huge smile on and just big bright eyed guy. Like he just looks like a really happy, healthy, average, normal guy. Like he doesn't look like someone that would stand out in any negative way doesn't look like he was involved in anything that would put him in danger as far as his interests um what gets talked about talked about the most is he's had a lifelong passion for music he um wasn't like a professional musician or like touring in a band or anything like that but from a young age he was into guitar there's videos going around of him you know, uh, singing and playing guitar as a, as, as a young man and as an adult. Uh, that seemed to be his passion for, for as much as I can tell. He seems like the kind that wouldn't hurt a fly. Mm-hmm. Like just like laid back, probably wouldn't even gossip with you if you if you tried. Just, you know, fun to be around and just like generally a nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's get into the the actual timeline surrounding his disappearance and you mentioned it at the beginning is there's like a lot known about the night of his disappearance um this isn't one of those cases where there's a big build up to all these events playing out and he disappears luke's story really takes place within several hours on the evening of friday march 4th 2011. Um, Again, we talked about he's from the Quebec side of the border, but he had a friend who had just recently moved to the town or city of North Bay, Ontario. At this point, Luke's 20 years old. Again, he has a friend who moves into an apartment in in North Bay and Luke and another buddy, uh, they go to spend the weekend at this apartment in North Bay. They're, you know, the the apartment their friend just moved into. So this story is going to take place about an hour away from the town he's from in the Ontario city of North Bay, 
20-year-old Luke and his buddy Brent are up there for the weekend. It's been a while since I went and stayed with some friends who just got an apartment. I think it's probably fresher in your mind, so maybe you can better relate to what they had going on. Tell me about Luke's night at uh, at this apartment. Uh, well, I was going to say it's like I miss being 20 because that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah, they just they went to this apartment and they were drinking and playing beer pong and warming the warming the house, if you will. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, right? Oh, yeah. Housewarming. They, they were celebrating a move. Yeah. Well, when you're 20 and your friend gets an apartment, that's a big deal. Oh, yeah. Especially and if it's one of the first. It's like, oh, my God. Yes. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I get it. They were, and, and when you look, I went on Google Maps to get a look at this apartment because uh, I've seen it and read it described as a rundown apartment in a rundown neighborhood. When you look at this apartment, it is, it's like a four unit, like it's a, it's like an old house that's been divided into four units with a couple additions that were probably added on way after the fact. It's in a neighborhood filled with older homes and uh, this is a corner lot, so it's like a house on the on the corner of two streets, and it's um yeah just just not a great looking place. Uh, Luke and those, Brent, those are the best parties though. Oh, those are always sure, the best ones. Sure. <laughs> uh, Luke and Brent uh, are up there with the plan of spending the weekend, and as you described, they're drinking, listening to music, playing beer pong. Uh, at one point, it's said that the host, the person whose uh, apartment it was, ended up uh, bringing out jello shots, which is a pretty good sign it's going to get wild. Um, they were drinking jello shots and doing all that stuff before coming to the, the decision to let's go downtown North Bay you know, hit the clubs, go to, go to some bars, which would be the obvious. Uh, Those plans step. were probably on the horizon anyway. Yeah. They probably. Uh, yeah. We call it pre in Cape Breton. Anyway, we call that pre-drinking. Yep. <laughs> we used to pre -gaming. do that. Yeah. We call it pre-drinking because we were all so cheap that we would like drink as much as possible before going out. So that way we don't have to buy drinks out. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Actually, so I just saw something and uh, because we, and you're, we're about to get there, but they go out around midnight mm -hmm. and that's like that was totally on brand for my friends and i at the, the same time oh, we'd go out same. Mm -hmm. yeah 11 12 o'clock and i just saw something the other day and it said this can't be the same nine o'clock that i would get start getting ready to go out at <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's that i couldn't imagine leaving my house at that hour of night to start the night but as Never. you just but as you say eleven fifty four p.m is right around the point that they arrive at the bar that they were going to. It was actually a group of four of them. It was Luke, his buddy Brent, who was in town with him, and two others. So the four of them came from that apartment. Uh, it's at 11.54 that they're actually seen walking into the nightclub. It's a, it's a club called Cecil's, which is a large, popular bar downtown North Bay. Um, this, this section of the night is super important and it's corroborated by security videos. So we know exactly when they arrive. It's at 11.54. And we see the four of them kind of walking into the club one after another with Luke at the back. And, you know, his buddy Brent gets in. The other two get in. When the time for Luke to speak to the bouncer, it doesn't go well. But his friends are already inside. The bouncer, and maybe this may be new for people who haven't spent a lot of time at late night dance bars and nightclubs and stuff is a the bouncer as they let you in they're also kind of screening you like is this person you know intoxicated or whatever luke was must have been displaying too much too many signs of intoxication and the bar or the bouncer didn't allow him in the nightclub but his friends were already inside and you know this part really bugs me because this is the first part that will really bug me, but I just feel like I, I've been in situations where that has happened, but the bartender would, or the bouncer would then like come in and get the rest of the party. Like your friend didn't get in. You'd think, or but, the friends would at least like kind of hover by the door until they, until they all got in. Yeah, especially if there was any question about if they were going to get in. And if you're, you know, there from out of town or something, not blaming anyone for, cause they were all drinking and stuff, but it, it's just, um, the reason I'm leaning on this point is his friend Brent, who is again in, in town with him, 
claims that he went into the bar without realizing initially that Luke didn't get in. But when he realized he was, he started, you know, texting Luke like, hey, where are you? But of course, he's already inside the bar. Um, so Luke doesn't get in. He's turned away by the bouncer. I should maybe mention the weather because we're going to be following Luke outside. It's I looked at the historical data. It was hovering just below zero. And it was That's cold. It's cold. It's cold. Not for us. I'm Nova Scotia. That's nothing. Um, I'd be out there in a t-shirt. Uh, and it was snowing. <laughs> I've seen it described as a heavy snow or significant snowfall. I've seen that written in articles and stuff. But when I looked at the historical uh, weather data for North Bay, um, it said that that night was light snow. So it was snow, but it the data from Weather Canada didn't suggest a snowstorm by any means. But regardless, uh, Luke does not get in the bar. He is outside. When Luke first leaves the bar that he didn't get into, he kind of hovers around outside a little bit before going to a next a bar that's next door to Cecil's. That's oh. a, a bit seen as a bit more of a wild bar. It's called the Zoo or Zoo. Uh, he goes to zoo, but he doesn't enter the bar. He just kind of lingers around outside alone. Right. He kind of lingers around. And then he, from the zoo nightclub, he just kind of walks off. And there's a bit of a debate about where he goes next after zoo nightclub. Um, but initially, when you watch and read the early news reports or even the initial press conferences that investigators um, hosted, they described this as his last known whereabouts. Investigators have obtained the surveillance video from Cecil's bar and were able to confirm that Luke did attend with his friends. He was last seen uh, entering the doorway but was turned away by bar staff due to his level of intoxication. His friends continued into the bar without him. Upon leaving the bar, Luke originally turned left on the patio but considering there's no stairwell on the left-hand side, he turned around, walked past the entry door again. He then walked down the stairs onto Main Street. Surveillance video last shows him standing out in front of the zoo nightclub at the time, and he's basically hovering around that area, and, and that's, that's the last that, that, that we can see of him on surveillance video. We don't know which direction he's actually gone. At this point, um, his buddy Brent and the others are inside the bar. They're texting Luke, you know, where are you? But they don't get any response. He doesn't reply to them. Brent, his buddy, uh, who was interviewed by CTV, explained that he expected to go back to the apartment where they were all going to spend the night and just see Luke sitting there uh, or have Luke show up, you know, after being at another club or something. So without hearing from or getting a response from Luke, Brent eventually goes back to the apartment, goes to sleep, thinking Luke's going to show up. He doesn't. He gets up the next morning. When they plan to, uh, they had plans to get the bus back into Quebec to their to their hometown. Uh, Luke doesn't show up for that either, and I think it's at this point that Brent begins to worry. I can't tell if it was Brent who went to Luke's parents or if Luke's parents, some other way, got you know concerned about Luke. Somehow they know that. Luke's friends weren't in contact with them because the when suspicion starts to arise of like where is he it doesn't seem to come from Luke's friends who were with him it's coming from his parents they have plans to have a, a party for his sister a birthday party Sunday it's really when he doesn't arrive home for that that his parents begin to uh, really uh, see the concern right well because he was he was planning on staying the weekend so that and that's what really confused me. They were, I thought they were planning on staying the whole weekend, and not getting a bus back the next day. But it, it's again, it's it's one of those things. It, with the passage of time, it makes it harder as well. But uh, I've read multiple versions of so many parts of this. But what I'm taking that part of the timeline from is uh, Luke's friend Brent actually in a sit down interview with CTV where he describes what he remembers. Um, but. That, that's how he described it. But as far as his parents, when Luke doesn't show up for the birthday, they're unable to reach him. None of his friends have seen him. They know something is up and they're starting to worry. Luke's mom is the actually the first one who's like, I'm just going to go to North Bay. You know, if, if he just got busy all weekend, we would have heard from him. This isn't 
you know, no, I'm not going to go to the apartment that Luke was at. So she knew where he had been staying. Um, so Monday morning, Friday, Saturday, Saturday, like three days later is when uh, Luke's mom shows up at the apartment. She's allowed in. She goes through, it goes to the room that Luke was supposed to be staying. And she makes some discoveries that I think will really shapes how I view the, the main theories that are going around um, surrounding Luke's disappearance. I was just shaken there and scared and uh, not knowing. As I'm going, I had like a vision. I could see like the house, never seen that before. And I could see my son in the window and he's like that in the window saying, mom, help me, help me, mom. Luke's phone was there on top of a speaker, a hoodie, and uh, it was really damp, like sweaty. And his American Eagle jacket. So we ended up bringing those items with us. And then I went to the police station. And can't you see him on numerous security footage in, in different locations wearing this jacket? Mm -hmm. It seems so. Cause so... The, yeah, the, the security footage admittedly is very poor quality. Some of the worst oh, security is. footage I've seen. But he he appears to have this jacket on. Um, but the well, jacket. I can't imagine he brought a ton of a, a whole wardrobe change. No, that's right. And as you said, it's cold. It was a cold night, a cold enough night that you would wear your jacket. Um, yeah. So they find that stuff, or she finds that stuff there, pretty much directly from that home, uh, from that apartment, and that discovery. She heads to the police station to make the missing persons report. Um, March seventh, twenty eleven. Again, three days after he was last seen. And this is going to sound um, pretty cliche. How did the police handle that missing persons report? They handled it like, uh, just like they know they we, or just like we know they would. They yeah. didn't take it super seriously. Uh, probably because he was young and out at the bar and they assumed he was just out partying or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it, like it was 2011, mm -hmm. he would he wouldn't have left his cell phone at home. No, no. Prior to going to the bar, too. Yeah, that's that's the thing. The the family has criticized the police in their early handling of the missing persons report as saying the police seemed to just assume and or decide almost that he was probably just ran off with a girl for a couple of days and whatever, and he'll show up. But without his jacket, his hoodie, and his phone, that to me that's like no, something's up. You well, know, exactly. Like nobody runs off without their phone. Totally. And then, like, his friends were saying, "Yeah, we were texting him. Um, he was wearing the jacket." So something tells me that he was back at the apartment at one point before he went missing. Mm -hmm. But that's that's obviously not um, corroborated or anything. But that's just what I think because he wouldn't he wouldn't have left his phone. Mm -hmm. Or um, his jacket that he was seen wearing. Absolutely. So now is when, you know, so now the missing persons report is filed. They don't know where he is. This is when he's without his phone, his jacket. And this is when the search really begins. So first of all, the um, initially the search seems to be pushed ahead by family, you know, passing out flyers, doing those sorts of things. Always. No sign of Luke uh, turns up. No, initially, no evidence. There is several kind of um, unconfirmed sightings uh, in the early days, but nothing that really went anywhere. The, the first kind of investigative uh, discovery is uh, his debit card is discovered. It's discovered in a snowbank, almost in the middle between Cecil's Bar, where Initially, he was cons was considered to be his last known whereabouts, uh, and the apartment. So, right in the middle between the two, is when they find where they find his debit card. Um, so that leads police to search the immediate area surrounding, you know, the streets around where the debit card was found, which also would be the streets of downtown North Bay, um, looking for any sign of Luke or anything else he may have dropped. Um, since we're on the topic of the debit card with his bank activity. There was no activity, of course, after his disappearance. And the only activity leading up to his disappearance was a withdrawal of $20. So 
pretty measly sum of money. This this withdrawal, it's it's I could not find um definitively when the withdrawal happened. I don't know if it was, was earlier in the ask. day. Yeah. I, I haven't been able to find exactly when this had happened, but I know that during the night when he was out, he was said to have had $20 on him. And I know that his last known withdrawal happened on that day for a withdrawal of, of $20. So, Something tells me it was before because cover charge is usually $5 and they don't take debit. Yeah. So yeah, it would make sense to me that, that, that he would have went to a bank machine before going to the bar and took 20 bucks. Right. So, and yeah. Um, so they find the bank card, a search goes from there. They find nothing. It's not until six weeks after his disappearance that the police actually searched the apartment that he was last staying in. And I, I, to me, that's shocking because he was somehow he was there if his stuff was dropped off. If he had that with him going to the bar, the next step for him, like the next obvious place that he was, you would think would have been the apartment since his stuff was dropped off there. Six weeks later, investigators search the apartment, but never say they've never revealed publicly the result of that search if they found any evidence or you know anything they they've kept that close to their chest for whatever reason and i don't know if that means anything well and it was also a month and a half later like i what were they expecting to find mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's just crazy to me yeah now here's where it gets uh complicated so after luke was turned away from the bar. Um, uh, again, initially, police were saying this is his last known, last confirmed sighting, um, last known whereabouts. Um, but there begins to be rumors about other places he was. So first of all, after he was uh, denied entry to the bar, there is a piece of security footage. It has never been made public, so it's hard to say if it's real or, or if it's accurate, uh, apparently you can see someone who looks like Luke and another man entering a bank of Montreal, which is just, you know, a block up the street from the bar. Um, you what has been said about this footage again, that isn't publicly available is that you cannot see the person who they think, who people think maybe Luke, you cannot see his face. So you can't confirm it's him, but it has led some people to speculate that, um, that is Luke and another man entering the BMO. Um, if so, that sighting I have, or if that sighting is actually him, the police have never referenced it in one of their press conferences that I could find. And I've watched several of them. I think I've seen them all. I've never seen the police mention this, but you'll find it written a lot that after leaving the bar, Luke and another man may have gone into a bank of Montreal. Um, again, the security footage isn't publicly available. Police haven't referenced this right the stuff that i've read about um the the bank security footage was that it was kind of it was was he actually with this guy because i guess the other per the other alleged person wasn't fully in the frame mm. you could just see someone kind of standing back and they were like well was he with someone was he not but like you said it's never been released and never mentioned on record mm -hmm. so that's yeah. kind of wishy-washy yeah it is it, it is hard to say again as we were as we had said multiple times at this point the last known whereabouts were outside cecil's but it's it was rumored that he was also at another bar in a different part of north bay that's a, a good ways away like kind of like on the other side of on the other side of the town or on the other side of the of the city um but but it seemed to always be like speculative i the police never mentioned it for the longest time um but in a press conference in october of 2019 so eight years after his disappearance the police came out and said we can confirm that after being turned away at cecil's lingering around outside of the zoo nightclub which is next door to cecil's for a short period of time at some point later that night luke actually arrived to a bar called shooters until recently the last confirmed sighting was at 11:54 p.m on march 4 2011 on cecil's video we are now certain 
that after Luke was refused entry from Cecil's Bar downtown, he attended Shooter's Bar, located at the Voyageurne on Delaware Street. Luke was observed socializing at the bar, and we are aware that he later obtained a ride from at least one of the patrons. The Voyager Inn is now the last confirmed sighting of Luke on the March 4th, 2011. Uh, they didn't give much information about what he did there or who he was with, and we can only assume he was alone, but they did say he left that bar with at least one person to get a drive. Uh, and again, I'm left assuming it's a drive back to the apartment, although he could have went to the apartment and then there or there, then the apartment. But well, how'd he get there? Because if it was a far, if it was a ways away and it was like damn near zero degrees, mm -hmm. I don't think he would have walked there, especially because it's so out of the way. Mm -hmm. he and if like, I'm going to walk to shooters. Yeah. And if his friends are, well, I don't know if you, if you can't get a hold of his friends, you could, I'm just thinking about it. His phone, his friends are texting his phone. So he must have dropped off his phone pretty quick. I almost think yeah. like if he didn't get into Cecil's, maybe he went right back home and dropped off and right back in the apartment dropped off his phone which doesn't make any sense but that's kind of where the mystery comes in this is like what the what the hell was going on but uh let's get a bit deeper into it here because we we don't know a lot about this time in shooters we just know that that has become the last known whereabouts of luke there's no security footage of it and I very little ask. yeah very little information was given but Here's where it gets goes from interesting to just sketchy and awful. When you have a missing person case that gets a lot of news coverage in a town, people start to talk for better or worse. Someone may know something or suspect something, or someone may just want to stir up crap and insert themselves into stories. And that happens all the time. Uh, there was a what was initially thought to be a significant update in Luke's story when someone came forward and said that they witnessed Luke being beaten and killed in the area near the apartment. So this person uh, claims they saw it happen. Um, that led to a police search with like canines and with dogs and everything. And it, the story was he was beaten and killed near the apartment um, by someone he owed money to. And they took his body back to his home in the area surrounding his hometown back in Quebec and buried it there. So police went and searched that area, didn't find anything. And then shortly after, I'm just going to read you the news article that I found covering this. Danielle Leduc Michel was sentenced to almost two years in jail, followed by probation for a year for obstructing justice by giving police wrong information, public mischief for falsely implicating others by claiming Jolie, by claiming Jolie de Rocher, de Rocher was beaten to death and his body was dumped near his hometown in Temiskamen. So she ended up getting charged, <laughs> the person who came forward. And not Good. only that, yeah, but you know, you, you think that I haven't heard of someone actually getting charged in the, for a situation like that. But in this case, several months later, another person was charged. Uh, North Bay Police charged another woman with providing false information in relation to Luke Jolie de Roche's de Roche's missing person investigation. This is Jacqueline Kelly, a 48 year old from the North Bay area. Um, she was she was also charged with similar things and i don't know if it was her working in connection with that other person like if they were doing it together or if it was just two separate people who came forward with information that they knew was false like what would i just want to know what would possess somebody to do that well, and like two years later yeah it seems to it seems to happen often I yeah. often hear of like just these wing nuts coming out with, you know, weird stories that people dismiss. It's just, you rarely hear of them getting That's searched. True. Cause how do you, like I guess do I, you know, lots of wing nuts come out with, with their own versions of what happened, but I don't, do they usually go to police? They usually just say it on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, but in this case um, it was implicating someone else. So I wonder if they had a bone right. to pick with someone and they, you know, tried to set them up or something. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense what they were doing, but whatever it was, 
the police not only knew that it wasn't true, they were able to prove it and got a conviction. Like well, would have, they would have had to been able good. to prove that the people knowingly gave false information. But here's a, a part of the problem with this is uh, you talked about, you know, you go to the police and not just post it online. Apparently they also posted it online. And what has happened is some of the, like the elements of the fake story that they were convicted of drumming up, uh, some of those elements um, come up all the time now in new tips. Like, oh. so it's kind of like uh, poison the water supply of information, I guess. Like these, yeah. these little, uh, little elements of those um, faulty or fraudulent tips have just become part of the story. So, you know, as time goes on, it's probably harder and harder for investigators to, you know, is this someone who's just heard the same crap that's been going around or right. someone who knows? That makes sense. Yeah. And that's very unfortunate. Yeah. But um, there is a belief that someone out there knows what happened to Luke. And, and that's part of the reason um, the police upped the reward. There's, there's currently a $50,000 reward for information related to him, uh, to, to his disappearance and locating him. Uh, investigators and his family have made it clear they suspect foul play in in his disappearance um and that to me that seems well when someone just disappears without a trace it's pretty hard not to assume that yeah well the disappearance is one thing but i think the leave it like what really grinds my gears is his stuff was in his in the apartment if he was yeah yeah well we'll get into in a moment we'll get into kind of the the theories and some of the more Actually, what we'll do next, let's get into some of the kind of current present day search for Luke, and then we can give our opinions and maybe get into some of the um, most prevalent theories. So the biggest update, other than the $50,000 reward in the confirmation that he was at the Shooter's Bar, which is at Voyager Hotel or Motel, uh, Luke's family has partnered with a private investigator and are funding their own search as a result of that. Um, which is really keeping, you know, someone digging, you know, with this much time passed 12 years later, I'm sure police aren't out there beating the streets every day, but a private investigator no. will. His family reminds me a lot of Madison Scott's in the sense that they have never given up the search mm -hmm. for him. Yeah. Yeah. We, we covered Madison's story on this show uh, several months back, but yeah, I do see some elements um with that case and i also see some connections with the disappearance of chris metallic that we talked about together as well right the young man in yeah. new brunswick who after a night of drinking or during a night of drinking um it disappeared but uh, as far as luke's story in present day um again they have a, a, a private detective working with them or for the family uh, the private detective and the family has made it clear that they don't believe for a minute that he ran off with a girl uh they don't consider suicide a possibility they uh, at least publicly uh luke is said to have not suffered you know depression or mental health issues or had any kind of um traumatic event play out in the time leading up to this nothing to lead his family to believe that that it was a suicide they did make it clear that they suspect foul play and they've said as much to the media countless times if, found five different interviews with his his family saying that that they believe that's what happened and they're just hoping someone can come forward and tell the police what had happened and and that said this is one of those cases where again there's a lot of rumors going around but what the private investigator had said in an interview is that um a lot of the rumors involve the same group of people in a lot of the same circumstances and I don't know when there's a lot of smoke around a couple people there's some got to be some fire and i think in this yeah. story at this point i just want to know who drove him from shooters <laughs> like that's i feel like that's what they need to figure out that's that's and that's always the biggest key piece of evidence is who was the last person they were with mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. super important yeah. because even if he was met with like if if it was some sort of accident which we'll get into yeah there would be evidence of that. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't accidentally get killed and then disappear. Mm -hmm. 
people, you know, there's there's evidence of that being an accident. Yeah, we have enough of the story out there now that we can kind of maybe talk a little through what we're thinking or what we think may have happened ourselves and and what kind of problems there are with it. Because I, I found with this, with Luke's story and the facts of his disappearance, I just can't come up with anything that kind of all fits together. Like I, I can't get the pieces together right in my head. So Luke had planned to return home. There was a party on that Sunday for his sister. The last, um, uh, we mentioned they found his cell phone in the apartment. The last contact on his cell phone was him calling his dad earlier in that evening. And he was even talking to his dad about getting a ride back to their hometown. Like that was a part of his plan. So you could say like, did Luke maybe, I don't know, go hitchhiking or something or, or try to get a ride back to Quebec with somebody um, and something happened along the way there. My problem with that is he, you wouldn't, as a 20 year old, you wouldn't leave your jacket in winter and your cell phone at the random apartment you're staying in. Even if you're drunk, like that just doesn't make sense. It's not like you can no. rip back and grab your phone you know, the, uh, um, a couple weeks later in the neighboring province. I just, I don't think, I don't think he left North Bay and I don't know why his phone was back at, at his apartment. Well, and this is one of the things, well, and because there are so many rumors that aren't fact floating around, I, I'm second guessing what I actually know about the case because I knew that or I thought I knew that his last communication was with his dad and orchestrating a ride home, mm-hmm. which lead, which begs the question, why would he plan to take a bus home the next day when he already asked his dad for a ride? Mm-hmm. And he would absolutely not. Like, I know hitchhiking is one of the theories floating around of what happened to him. Why? He, like, he wouldn't. He he already make, had yeah. those it doesn't make sense yeah it doesn't make sense to me either and it would have had like it would have he had a place to stay um if he leaves the bar and goes back to the apartment and takes off his coat and stuff he's not going to then go outside without his jacket and his phone and you know walk to the highway and hitchhike it's you would just sleep right. it off and deal with it in the morning i think you'd, and, you'd think yeah but that's what i would do <laughs> but here's the other thing then is you know considering considering all that he is in shooters this other bar on the other side of town it's not like it's like you know a, a hours drive away or anything but it's on the other side of town how does he end up over there alone who is he with who's he going to see did he drop off his phone before or after did he drop off his phone or did someone else Right. He, he said to have, and according to the police timeline, the official source, he did leave there with at least one person in a vehicle to be driven somewhere. Well, and he's not from the area. So why shooters? How did he decide to go there of all places in yeah. North Bay? And his, where his last known activity on the phone was earlier in the day, talking to his dad, early in the evening, talking to his dad about a ride. It's not like he was on his phone texting another friend who was in town and, you know, I'll meet up with you. So it, it right. seems like he must have just, you know, went over there. But I guess that's part of the mystery is, you know, how does he end up there and where do they take him? Yeah. And that's, and that's what I mean by we have quite a bit of information about the night in question, but there's a few very important holes that need filling. Mm-hmm. Um, well, people have tried to fill the holes. Uh, we, we can assume investigators know more than the public does, but given the information that's out there and the rumors that are swirling, th- there are several prevailing theories on what had happened. The first one is, I'm just going to call it the random assault. Uh, this, if you, if you read message boards online, a lot of kind of armchair detectives will stand behind this uh, theory. That theory is that Luke was walking home alone and got into a physical confrontation near the apartment. And from there, he was either moved into the house or chased into the house, possibly into the building's crawl space. Uh, the crawl space of the building is like, instead of a basement, it's just like, it's kind of like a low ceiling basement and it's not finished. I don't know if you know what, if everyone knows what a crawl space is, but um, 
theories, uh, the building that he stayed in, the apartment that he was in, it did have a crawl space below the living area. And there had been lots of rumors, tips, discussion about something happening in the crawl space uh, relating to his death. Um, that would have been searched when police searched the building six weeks later. Uh, it, it, and they had never revealed the results of that. So we don't, we don't know for sure, but uh, if there was any credibility to, you know, that theory, but I think just the idea that, you know, a young man walking home alone through a rough neighborhood. Yeah. Like something could happen, run into the wrong person. And, but a random assault would give a lot of physical evidence. Mm-hmm. Especially when there's either, snow on the ground. Like right. Yeah. That either police would find weeks later or even like a cadaver dog could sniff out weeks later. Mm-hmm. So, but you, you, but like you said, the results of the search were never released. Exactly. So. But is, and is there a reason for that? Which tells me like, it's, you know, uh, I'm like, I'm grilling you. I'm like, Madeline, did you do, you know, hard drugs today? And you're like, I'm not saying anything. And I'm like, definitely did. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, did you guys find anything interesting? We're not revealing that information. So, okay. Well, what did you find? Yeah, exactly. If you uh, can neither confirm or deny, that's a confirmation. Yeah. Like, that's the way, the way I see it. But maybe what they're doing is just protecting, like, maybe they're like, we found stuff that's probably nothing, but we just don't want, you know, we don't want to up, ruin any piece of evidence. So I don't know. I'm going to give them a benefit of a doubt. Um, yeah. Maybe and you never li- know. What if years later that evidence ends up coming to fruition and yeah. meaning something? Yeah. And yeah, you, Exa- we exactly. just don't know. Yeah. The other theory, and this one's a bit more complicated. This involves debt. Uh, many people have said Luke was killed over a small debt, something like $20. So here's how the theory goes is that Luke owed someone money outside of the bar or on the street or wherever Luke encountered the person that, um, that he owed money to. They made Luke go to the bank machine to get the money that they owed him or that he owed them. When they go into the BMO where Luke is thought to have been seen going into, Luke realizes he doesn't have his debit card. So the person says, let's go back to the apartment and get it. Or Luke says it's back in the apartment. Oh, yeah. The idea but was is... It, but was in a snowbank this whole time. Right. The idea is they get back to the the apartment. The debit card's not there. Something right. happens. Luke is killed. And that explains Luke's phone and jacket and stuff being at the apartment. Uh, if that was him on it going into the Bank of Montreal, it explains how he went in without withdrawing anything and of course as i mentioned his debit card was found in a snowbank so you know he maybe he just lost it on the way to the bar that night and this whole chain of events happens after so a part of me thinks was that just someone who was really thinking of like what is an explanation that could put this, the debit card in the snowbank luke going into the bmo and his stuff at back of the apartment and you know that would work that would fit it yeah it's probably the most I don't want to say the most plausible theory. Yeah, it's, it's certainly not plausible, but it check like it, if it checks out. Right. And I want to say, you know, oh, like he was in a different city. Who would he know? But I guess it was only an hour away and it's a small world. So you never know who you're going to run into. Yeah. And, and where he's from on the border, like North Bay would be a, it would make sense that you would go there for the weekend, you know, to the city, go to the bars and stuff. Like I would think he, these wouldn't have been his only friends in town. He would know people. Right. I would think. Um, So that's, that's another theory. I guess you said plausible and then you backed off. I would say like maybe something like logical, like it would make logical sense. Like it would. Yeah. So that's, that's a better word to use. Here's another one. Um, this also comes up a lot in missing persons cases, uh, an idea that uh, Luke may have stumbled off and drowned. There's a lake near there, Lake Nipissing. Nipissing. Um, the idea is Luke may have walked onto the lake, which would have been frozen, f- uh, being drunk, ended up falling in and wasn't able to get out. 
That is a theory that's going around, but I think I don't give it any credibility um, because for one, th th these areas have been searched thoroughly. Nothing has ever turned up. It again, doesn't explain why he would have dropped off his phone and jacket. Like would he drop that stuff off and then go walk across a lake? Right. And also, wasn't it very cold? Then the lake still would have been frozen. So it would have been pretty obvious if and where he fell through. Yeah, there'd be like one hole where like there's a missing person and there's one hole in the lake near where the missing person was staying. Right. Um, yeah. That. And I don't I don't know how big Lake Nipissing is, but yeah, I'm going to assume that something would have come up by now. Uh, then the other thing, too, is he managed to get to a bar on the other side of town. Like it's, it wasn't like he was so drunk and disoriented. He couldn't do anything. Like somehow he ended up over there. Like, why is he walking yeah. around on a lake? Um, we have, we've already talked a bit about the other theory, which is um, relating to hitchhiking, trying to get back home and getting a ride with, with someone and getting into trouble. Uh, I also don't give a whole lot of credibility to that. Um, for one, he had a ride home the next day. It seems multiple options to get home the next day. Uh, but if he was going to hitchhike, he would take his jacket. He would take his phone. I'd... Why Why would he leave the apartment to go hitchhike? Empty handed. That just doesn't it's... make sense. No. So I think um, all things considered, if, if I was to decide, I, I would say certainly this is one where I feel pretty strongly that foul play is is involved i don't it's it would it would shock me if it wasn't mm -hmm. I, I would just be baffled yeah and i think the police i i think are, are likely on the right trail on the right track to, for the people responsible and i wonder if it wasn't until years later they came out and said yes he was at at shooter's bar that is actually his last known whereabouts I wonder if they knew for years that he was there, but they didn't want to say anything because that was, you know, like holdback information. Right. And then eventually like, you know, uh, what police will do, investigators will do is as a case is becoming colder and colder, they'll do things like raise rewards, of course. And in Luke's case, there's a $50,000 reward, but they'll also do things like reveal a bit more information. Usually it'll be like a, photographs like cctv camera footage or maybe a new detail and the reason they do that is it just lights up the whole thing again the news is reporting on this new detail there's a press conference everybody will talk about it again and maybe yeah. one of the person who, one of the people who know what's happened uh you know um, or maybe the girlfriend of the guy who did it they've since broke up and she's like oh now's my time to come forward and just tell the story like, I kind of think that this information, this detail about him going to that other bar later that night, I think may have been something they'd known for a while. And I think it's very important. Absolutely. Well, and a lot of the times they'll withhold information because mm -hmm. they don't want the perpetrator knowing what they know. Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't need them knowing just how much they know. Mm-hmm. And then they can, you know, flee or whatever. What will break the case, I think, is someone at this point is someone talking. I don't think one person's involved. I think there's a group of people, maybe a small group that know what's going on. Like if he was at Shooters, he didn't walk in there and sit down and talk to one person and then leave with that person and have that person kill him. And no one else knows about it. That just, that doesn't seem likely to me. Well, and I'm going to assume the bar was packed. There are a ton night. of there are a ton of witnesses. They might not even know their witnesses at mm -hmm. this point. But yeah, it's it's very very odd. Additional witnesses have come forward, and we are aware that other people were socializing with Luke that night. Some of these people may be persons of interest, and we will be speaking with them as the investigation unfolds. You've mentioned this before. There's a ton of internet theories and false information rolling around. But I I read one claim, and I this is also 
whoever commented it was it was hearsay to them as well okay but i thought this was just kind of bizarre um apparently in the area of one of the bars that he was at either cecil's or shooters where wherever there was construction going on and it was alleged to this person that he could have fallen into like one of the big construction holes Mm. and then it was filled never to be seen again Mm, interesting well yeah i I thought that was a weird theory again i always go back to the jacket and the phone so is that theory that he walked home dropped off his jacket and his phone then he walked back downtown without it fell in a hole and then it got buried and never to be seen again that's true the the phone and jacket are the real yeah yeah just i i think so many theories that that puts just such a big wrench in them where to me it's either someone he knew did something and then dropped off his phone and stuff and i still don't know why they would do that why wouldn't they just like if someone did something to him why wouldn't they just chuck it in the woods not bring it back to his apartment and drop it off there I just don't, I don't know. Yeah. Trying to throw off police or, but, and if it was an assault somewhere, you'd think there would be some sort of witness, a neighbor, mm. someone would have heard something. Mm. It's, it's just crazy how they're, how little witnesses are, are in this case. Yeah. But again, late at night, we've already talked about jello shots and everything else. Like it's a, True. a foggy night. Um, how does the phone, and jacket get there so i think he takes it there does he take it there and then go somewhere else or does he go back to the apartment with someone lay it down and then something happens you know people talk about maybe something happened in the apartment possibly involving the crawl space like the you know under the basically the basement of the building that would kind of check out because that would give a reason for his stuff to be in the apartment just for an example, he comes home with, um, he goes to shooters and meets up with someone there. They go back to the apartment for some reason. He lays his stuff down. Things go wrong. Whatever happens ends in Luke's death and disappearance with the phone and stuff still being there. That would. Well, and just the the mere mentioning of the crawl space is bizarre to me. It's creepy. Who, who dreamt that up? Because it's it's not his apartment. So there's no way he would have like ran to the building and into the crawl space. Mm-hmm. Well, it, and a crawl space is not somewhere you easily access. Mm-hmm. But I could see how it would, in, in this case, I think there was like a little door in a closet or something that would allow you to go down in there. But I think a oh, okay. crawl space, you know, if people are speculating theories and stuff, like it's just such a creepy spot. I could see that like, it, it yeah. happened in the crawl space. But that said, if something horrible went on in that building and you had to hide something and you knew there was a crawl space there, you know, where, there's a reason. Better. Yeah, there's a reason people think crawls, crawl spaces are creepy. And it's not just because they're full of spiders and dark. You know, it's like weird stuff happens in places like that. Ugh. He had with him, and it was never found, was a very unique bright purple uh, belt. It's a leather, it was like a leather belt, but you know what I mean by a studded belt? Like it has all the yep. studs around it. So it has all purple studs. It's a purple belt with purple studs. And he wore that that night. That wasn't left at the apartment. But the belt seems to be the one that that comes up a lot. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. We need security footage from shooters. I want to know if he was wearing the jacket at shooters. That, well, that would change everything. That would sh- that would shed some light. And and yeah. it, while you're looking for that, see if you can get a look at the person he was leaving with. Yes. More importantly, yeah. see if you can screw the jacket. Who was he with? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the the answer is to this case is you figure out who he was with. And you know, once you once you get that, you're hot on the trail of Luke. I yeah. Believe. Well, uh, the you know, anything could have happened. You know, he could have gone back to the apartment with one person, took his took his jacket off, put his phone down. Maybe they went out for a cigarette, and then someone else they knew drove up, and mm-hmm. it was like, oh, why don't we go to the bar with them? Like it's. 
there's so many possibilities yeah. of what could have potentially went down. But like even that example that you just gave, there's now multiple people who right. don't have anything to hide. That they, oh, oh yeah, I saw Luke that night. We were having a cigarette, and then you know Mark pulled up, and Luke went with Mark. Right. You know, so maybe police. You know, there's certainly stuff that they're not on the news talking about, but whatever it is, it's not enough to solve it after, you know, going on 13 years. And that must be so frustrating. It's, it's one oh. thing, like you, you talk about some of these missing persons cases where they just vanish into the night and you don't know what happened. You can't, you know, all these theories, it could be anything in Luke's case. Yeah. He's, he does seem to vanish, but there's this other stuff that doesn't make sense. And that's almost right. like makes it even harder. Like if I, I feel like if I was his poor parents, not knowing just, is worse than knowing. Yeah. And, and just like being haunted by this idea of like, why was he at that bar? Who did he leave with? Like, what the hell is going on? And I, I've, I've spent a lot just kind of like playing out different scenarios in my head with this story and nothing makes any sense. Um, no, there's, there's too many, too many me missing pieces of the timeline mm -hmm. to make any of it make sense. Yeah. Too many missing pieces, but I think it is the kind of thing where one of those pieces fall into place and, you know, the whole house of cards comes crashing down for whoever is keeping the secret. And I, I think yeah. it's hopefully I think it's going to come out. Hopefully it comes crashing down yeah. soon. Yeah, because it's uh, heartbreaking for his friends and family. His buddy Brent, who was in town with him that weekend that went in the bar uh, when Luke didn't get in, uh, he he spoke on the ctv w5 piece and he like it broke my heart hearing him describe it like the the amount of like guilt and yeah just what he must be living with at this point having lost his friend like that um, when you think of everything you could have done differently yeah and yeah you just need a few seconds back and mm -hmm. but you you can't but you think you know when you're 20 like the amount of times you went downtown with your friends and you just all get mixed up and you know he's probably gone with she, like i he's probably gone with a girl or ran into someone whatever you know it's like oh, i've done absolutely. that a million times but the next day when they don't show up and you're like oh shit, like yeah oh i can't count how many times i you know that was my that was my mo when i went to the bar i'd go with friends and immediately upon getting in i would go a different way Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to do my rounds, see who was there, yeah. kind of do my own thing. Yeah, and and, some, sometimes know? I'd just be not feeling it. I'm like, I wouldn't say anything to my friends because they'd talk me out of it. I'd just leave and go home. Oh, the old Irish goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I did that all the time because yeah. my friends would beg me to stay or whatever. So it's like, no, I'm not getting them involved in this. I'm just, so I got to yeah. go to the bathroom, guys. <laughs> and I'm yeah, back and on I've, my couch. I've done that and gone to a different bar by myself. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah it's but that's what like when someone goes missing in the middle of that kind of night i can see how complicated it must be and then when you're an investigator oh, yeah. and you're basically interviewing a bunch of people a bunch of like kids who were drunk exactly and everyone's got a different version of what actually happened and yeah oh yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's no awful. one wins in this situation mm -mm. um well let's start wrapping this one up madeline but before we do i'd like to ask you well, usually I ask you what's coming next on your YouTube channel, um, but I think you uh, are pretty comfortable in your role of growing a baby. Uh, yeah, I've taken a slight hiatus. Just, I've noticed. Just due to the person I am. I still, <laughs> weeks ago, we talked about, I said, yeah, like I have a couple videos that I need to edit. I still need to edit them. I have them on my laptop. <laughs> And well, I could just sit down and edit them. But your your but, YouTube, but your YouTube channel has not gone cold because you and I have been recapping and discussing the latest season of American Horror Story. Season 12, the season's called Delicate. Uh oh. you're a fan I uh, of the series. I am I haven't been, but uh, I've agreed to watch the latest season with you. So far I'm loving it. If there's people listening or watching us that are watching American Horror Story, Tune into Madeline's YouTube channel for our discussions about it. And after we sign off tonight, that's what I'm going to do. The third episode should be on Disney or uh, where are we watching it? Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime. Uh, so here's something I want to. Here's something I want to call out to listeners for. You know what time of year it is? It's October. 
Halloween is just around the corner. I'm now preparing for the Nighttime Podcast's annual Nighttime's Haunted Listeners Halloween special. This is Think Our Creep Encounter series, except replace the creeps with ghosts or um, men in black or vague figures standing at someone's bed when they're sleeping. Anything supernatural or paranormal it could be a werewolf for Christ's sakes. Um, so what I'd like to do is get anyone out there who has a story of something they saw they can't explain, especially if it's a ghost story, because I love ghost stories. We want to hear from you, and we're going to do a Halloween special where Aaron from Keep the Keep Canada Weird series, myself, and Madeline Klein are going to get together and break down some of these encounters with freaking ghosts. Uh, the way you can share your stories is by going to nighttimepodcast.com slash contact and send me a voice memo if you want to do it that way. You can also email me at nighttimepodcast at gmail.com and we can arrange something separately. Like you and I can hop on Zoom and we can do like a five minute interview or something. And if, if that's easier for you, whatever way is easiest for you to tell us about your encounter with the beyond. I'm, I'm so excited for this. I am. It's so, going to be so, so good. And I'm excited for you to meet Aaron. You guys don't know each other. Like my two best no. friends. My <laughs> two worlds are going to collide. Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm more excited for that or the paranormal, mm. but it'll right. be good regardless. Uh, well, Madeline, always a pleasure talking to you, even if the topics are, uh, are awful and heart wrenching and tragic. Um, I'd like to talk about them with you. There's no one else I'd rather discuss the awful with. I want to thank you for joining Madeleine and I for this episode of Nighttime. Now, I'm going to start wrapping things up here, but before I do, let me end with some thanks. First, a big thanks to Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode, LJ from the Dystopian Simulation Podcast, who provides my intro and outro voiceovers, and Madeline for sharing another evening with me and with you, the listeners at nighttime. But lastly, most importantly, a massive thanks goes out to each and every one of you listening to this show, as without your interest and your support, nighttime would be as pointless as it would be impossible. Now on the topic of support, let me thank the newest subscribers to the Nighttime Podcast Premium Feed. Lolly, Kara, and Anna, thank you for your generous support. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can give us a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and considering a premium feed subscription. If you're unfamiliar, the premium feed subscription costs only a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show, but the premium feed also gives you the episodes two days early, gives them to you ad-free, and gives you access to a full back catalog of nighttime episodes. Sounds interesting to you? You can go premium now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. If you have any story ideas, if you want to give feedback on the show, or if you have a question or comment you'd like to have aired and responded to in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. We look forward to hearing from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.